The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Amen. Well, the title of my message for you is Finding Peace in the Chaos. How many of you could use a little bit of peace in your life? Oh, every hand should be raised. And, you know, I was sitting right over there during the first service last weekend, and I was worshiping, and I was just thinking through what God had put on my heart to share with everyone, and he told me there's more that I want to say out of this passage about my peace. And I started thinking about that part of the text that we looked at at the end of John 14, where Jesus promises us his peace. And I was like, Lord, what do you want to say? And he just like downloaded this entire message into my heart. And I thought, Lord, I don't have room for that today. And so here we are. Uh, there's, there's more to the story that God evidently wants us to camp out in this text here in John 14. I mean, it's so rich. There's so much for us to glean. So tonight, we're literally going to just camp out in one verse. And it's uh, verse 27 as we talk about peace. You know, one popular definition for peace describes it as the absence of war or conflict. The absence of war or conflict. That's how the world would define peace. And sadly, that's something that our world has known little of throughout the years. In fact, in an article that was put out by the New York Times, they said that out of the last 3,400 years of recorded human history, only 268 of them have been in peacetime. That accounts for about 8% of recorded human history that we've enjoyed peace. The rest of the time we've been at war. During that same span of time, there have been over 8,000 different peace treaties that have been signed between different nations and countries. Out of those, you know how many of them have been broken? To date, all of them. Yeah, that's right. This led somebody to sarcastically redefine peace as that brief moment in history when everyone stands around reloading. (laughs) Of course, the lack of peace we see in our world isn't due to lack of effort. Over the years, people have gone to great lengths to try to promote world peace and bring peace to the world. One time where this this was highlighted was during the 60s, during the Vietnam War. You had all these people that were sitting for peace, marching for peace, protesting for peace, demonstrating on behalf of peace, and writing all kinds of songs about peace. There were sit-ins, and then there were bed-ins. It was in 1969 that John Lennon of Beatles fame, along with his girlfriend at the time, Yoko Ono, climbed into a bed at the Hilton Hotel there in Amsterdam, and they stayed there for an entire week, invited the press to come and interview them on their honeymoon as they talked about and tried to bring awareness to this idea of world peace. And it was during this time that Lennon said he was inspired to write that song, Give Peace a Chance. It didn't work. The war raged on and continued. Then in the 80s, the United Nations General Assembly took a shot, took a crack at bringing peace to the world. And they voted unanimously to establish September 21st as the International Day of Peace. Their hope was that signing this initiative would inspire the governments of the world to lay down their arms and weapons and embrace peace. It was well-intentioned, but it too failed. (laughs) 
In the 90s, people took a more grassroots approach, and everybody started slapping bumper stickers on their car that said, visualize world peace. Remember those? If only it were that simple. If all we had to do was just get together and hold hands and sing kumbaya and bring world peace, we'd have had it and experienced it a long time ago. You see, despite everyone's best efforts, peace has continued to elude us. But it's not just peace globally that we struggle with and can't seem to find. It's not just peace in the world. It's inner peace that we can't seem to find. The wars that rage all around us, as it would appear, are just a reflection of the inner turmoil that so many of us face on the inside. And so there's a lack of peace in so many of our hearts, and we're filled with anxiety and fear. I found a statistic that said the pandemic has triggered a 25% increase in the prevalence of anxiety and depression worldwide. And we know that. I don't need to belabor the point, and those numbers aren't going down either now that the pandemic is over. And the reasons, the triggers for that depression aren't hard to discern. I mean, we're constantly just being attacked and bombarded with news feeds that trigger our deepest fears and our most troubling doubts and and our greatest concerns. We desperately need peace, but not just any kind of peace. We need a deep peace, an abiding peace, a sustaining peace, something that can carry us through the storms of life. Enter Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Jesus speaks these words to a troubled group of disciples in verse 27 of John 14. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I love this verse. So potent, so powerful. I want to read it to you again. But this time, let me read it to you out of the Living Bible translation. Jesus says this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. Don't you love that? Can you think of a better gift that Jesus could leave with his disciples than peace of heart and peace of mind? Now, Jesus issued this promise to a group of men who were in danger of being swallowed up by their fears and anxieties. We've belabored the point that he had just told these guys that he was leaving them, and this had left their hearts rattled and their faith shaken. They desperately needed a word of hope, a word of encouragement, and that's exactly what Jesus gave them. He told them he was gifting them a peace, but not just any kind of peace. He distinguishes it as my peace. It's just what their troubled hearts needed. And it's just what your heart needs and my heart as well. And this is God's promise to you this evening. Did you know that there is a peace that is available to you, a peace that comes from God? It can guard your heart even even in the midst of the most troubling times. And that's good because we all know what it feels like to have a troubled heart. You know what a troubled heart is? It's that thing that wakes you up in the middle of the night and sets your heart and mind racing and and it just fuels your fears so that you can't get back to sleep. It's that fear that 
kills your motivation, stifles your creativity, and fills you with dread about the future. It immobilizes you. It paralyzes you. It grips you with fear. And you know, I think the the worst thing, or the worst part about having a troubled heart, is that oftentimes we feel powerless to change it or to overcome it. It's like when anxiety attacks, and isn't that the perfect definition of what it happens when you're gripped with anxiety. It's like an attack. It's an all-out assault. And when that happens, if, you, if you're familiar with that experience, as many of us are, it doesn't do yourself any good to say, okay, just don't be anxious. Stop being anxious. If anything, that just exasperates the problem, doesn't it? You see, I need to know why I shouldn't be anxious. And that's why I'm so thankful for Jesus' words here. He doesn't just stop at telling us not to let our hearts be troubled. But he goes on and he gives us the tools that we need to fight anxiety and to calm our troubled hearts. And that's what we find here. And notice how he starts with this toolbox as he's going to furnish us with the the things that we need to fuel the peace in our hearts. He begins by differentiating his peace from the peace the world offers. Let's, Let's talk for a minute about the world's peace because the world has its own version of peace and we already defined it as the absence of war or conflict. And because that's the world's definition of of peace, it's just the absence of these things, the solutions it proposes for handling stress and anxiety often lean towards just eliminating stressful factors from your environment. Does that make sense? So we're trying to control our external environment to promote our inner peace. This is why things like yoga retreats and Zen gardens are so popular these days. It's people's best efforts at manipulating their environment to promote maximum peace within. And so we come up with these ideas. Okay, I just gotta, I just gotta align my circumstances so that I, nothing gets through the shield that would interfere with my peace. And so we say things like, I just need a different location. I need to change my scenery. If I could just live in a bigger house or a different neighborhood, if I could just get in that other tax bracket, I just need to change my location and, and then I'd have peace. Maybe if I just moved to Hawaii, that would, that would help alleviate my problems and promote my peace. Others think, no, 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 it's, it's not my location that's the problem. It's my vocation. You see, if I had a better job, if I made more money, if I worked with different people, if I could just find the right vocation, if I didn't have to work with him or if I didn't sit next to her or if I didn't have to drive so far, then I'd have peace. Still, Others are convinced that what they really need is a vacation. So it's not your location or your vocation. It's a vacation. And so we, we just work ourselves to the bone for 50 weeks out of the year so that we can just escape our problems. Like that movie. Um, oh, what was that movie? Something about Bob. What about Bob? He's like, I'm taking a vacation from my problems. This is what we want. This is what we need. And then there's those people who think, no, 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 you can have all that. What I want is just a bit of isolation, (laughs) just a moment of peace and quiet, a few days without the kids bugging me, whining, complaining, tattling, telling, all of these things. 
So this is what we look to to promote our peace. And by, by the way, let me say this. Well, none of those things are bad, and some of them can actually be helpful. Ultimately, they all fail to bring us the peace that our hearts desperately crave. Why? Because they fail to consider one important factor. No matter where you go, or where you run to, or where you escape to, or where you work, there's one thing that you can't leave behind. You know what it is? You. <laughs> That's the unfortunate thing about it. We bring us wherever we go. How many of you know by experience that you can be on vacation, but your mind is still racing? There you are sitting in Hawaii, and the waves are crashing, and the, the, the hula music is playing, and you've got that, that drink in your hand, and you're reading a book, and the, oh, the sky is blue, but your mind is just full of inner turmoil. Again, it just underscores this idea that no matter where you go, there you are, and that's so much of the problem, which points to the other source of weakness in this approach that the world has to bringing peace. The problem is the world's peace is based on our circumstances, external factors. And those things are constantly changing. Maybe you're familiar with this quote that says, the only constant in this life is change, right? And, and so if you're peace is based on that external stuff, then your, your peace is constantly slipping through your hands. So if you have a good job, you'll be at peace. But the moment you lose your job, there goes your peace. You got money in the bank? Praise the Lord, you've got peace. The money goes down, the bank account, get, bank account gets low, and there goes your peace along with it. See, that's why the peace the world offers doesn't work. It can't work. Because it's circumstantial in its nature, at its very best, it's tenuous, fragile, and ultimately unsustainable. Jesus here talks about a different kind of peace. In contrast to the peace the world offers, Jesus says, peace I leave with you, and then he distinguishes it by saying, my peace I give to you. You know, Jesus goes by many titles in the Bible. He's known as the Alpha and the Omega. He's the Lion. He's the Lamb. He's the Suffering Servant, and he's the Conquering King. He has all of these titles and all of these names. But I think one of my favorite names for Jesus comes to us out of Isaiah chapter 9. I believe it's verse 6, where he is called the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. I love that. He's not called the prince of love, although he's full of love. He's not called the prince of joy, although in his presence is fullness of joy. He's called the prince of peace. And perhaps it's because you can't truly know love or experience joy until you first walk in his peace. Let's talk for a minute about what makes the peace of Jesus different than the peace the world gives. One thing that makes it different is that it's not dependent on external circumstances. In fact, it is able to transcend circumstances. That's because Jesus' peace comes from within. Instead of the peace which of the world, which is focused on externals, Jesus' peace is centered in our hearts. And the Greek word that he uses for peace alludes to this. It is the Greek word irene, irene. In fact, if your name is Irene, your name means peaceful. You're a gift from God. Praise the Lord. You just carry God's peace wherever you go. But Irene, it speaks of an internal state 
of tranquility. In other words, it's about more than just the absence of conflict. It's about the presence or the addition of something else. The Greek word for peace is closely linked with and tied to the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. Everybody say shalom. Shalom means peace. And in fact, when you go to Israel, this is still to this very day the popular greeting. When you say hello, you say shalom. And when you leave, you say shalom. And it's a, it's a beautiful word, but it, it's, its meaning goes much deeper. And there are so many layers to it that we can unpack. It, it goes beyond just that internal state of tranquility. And it describes rather a state of contentment, completeness, wholeness, well-being, and harmony. The Hebrew idea behind the word shalom might be best summarized by this concept of human flourishing. So the picture of shalom is that experience that Adam and Eve enjoyed there in the Garden of Eden as they walked with God in the cool of the day prior to the fall. And in that in perfect environment, they were in harmony with each other, they were in harmony with their environment, and they were in harmony with God. That's the picture of peace. That's what Jesus wants for every one of his kids. And again, this is different than the world peace because it's not dependent on external factors. And so because of that, it's actually better suited to handle them. When you have the peace of God, you can walk through even the most severe circumstances because you have something within you that's stronger. To illustrate this, there's a story, dates back a long time, about a man who wanted to put on an art contest. He was looking for the perfect picture of peace. The artist, he he, he, he uh, contracted to be part of this, were told to paint whatever they felt would best portray peace. Many artists painted serene landscapes and sunsets, beautiful scenery, whatever they best felt portrayed peace. Another painted a still, quiet lake with a reflection clear as glass and reflecting this beautiful mountain scene. All the entries were beautiful. However, when the winner was unveiled, it surprised everyone. The title of the winning painting was this, Peace in the Midst of the Storm. And at first glance, the painting looked anything but peaceful. Black clouds filled the sky along with lightning bolts. Waves crashed on a rocky hillside with raging waters below. I mean, how could a painting like that ever depict peace? Ah, but you have to look a little closer. Because there in the corner of the painting, the artist had included this paint part of the painting where he painted a little bird in her nest. And the bird was taking care of her, her little chicks. And she was covered beneath the ledge of a rock from the storm. So though the wind was blowing and the rain was falling and the waves were crashing, this bird was at perfect peace. And that's real peace. It doesn't just 
come from the absence of storms, but it comes from knowing that you're kept safe in the midst of the storm. And this, friends, is what makes Jesus' peace so unique and so powerful and so potent because it carries you through the storm. It carries you through the valley of the shadow of death. It carries you through the grief and in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the suffering, your heart is at peace. This is how Christians can be diagnosed with cancer and yet their heart is at peace because they know that there is a God who sits on the throne in heaven. He is over all and above all and the storm that falls and rages all around them can't touch them because they're safe in his hands. Praise the Lord. It's not about the absence of a storm. It's about the presence of Jesus. And I'll take Jesus in my boat in the storm than rather be on the land without him. Amen. Amen. So let's talk now about two expressions of God's peace, two different kinds of peace. The first kind of peace the Bible talks about is peace with God. Now, the world knows nothing of this particular kind of peace. Why? Because it's in active rebellion against God. And so prior to your conversion, prior to coming to Jesus, you struggled with this gnawing sense of of futility. And it was like nothing you did, no matter how much money you made, no matter how, how much you achieved or how much success you garnered, it was never enough to assuage the storm inside of you because that storm rages because you were made to be in relationship with God and you'll never know peace until you know God. And so the world knows nothing of this peace. But then the moment you surrender your heart to Jesus, many people describe that experience as it was just like a wave of peace flooded my heart. Why? Because the war with God was over. And that opens the door for God's peace to flood your heart. Paul the Apostle talked about this peace in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is in your notes. Let's go ahead and read this together out loud. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that because of what Jesus did, the chastisement of our peace he bore when he went to the cross and the nails that you and I deserved, he bore the brunt of them and the cat of nine tails was whipped across his back and the punishment we deserve fell on him so that we might be brought into the presence of God, cloaked in the righteousness of Jesus. So we have peace with God. We are ushered into his presence. We have access to his grace wherein we stand. And not only that, but the hope of God becomes the fuel that motivates us in this life. And that's yours by right if you're a child of God. You stand in this peace. It is an immutable and objective reality and fact, whether or not, regardless of how you feel about it. Tonight, if you're a child of God, I have some good news for you. Your sins are forgiven, your past is forgotten, and your future is forever. That's true of every child of God. Praise the Lord. Now, that's peace with God, and that's ours as an inheritance, part of our inheritance as sons and daughters of the king. But there is a second kind of peace that the Bible talks about, and it's slightly different. And it's not peace with God, but it is the peace 
of God. Paul talks about this piece in Philippians chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Let's go ahead and read this together out loud as well. He says, Do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Ah, this picture of the peace of God. He says it stands at the entry or the doorpost of your heart, and it it stands watch there. And I love that that portrayal or that painting of God's peace. It's, It's almost like the peace is a soldier, and it stands watch over your heart so that they can't become trouble. I mean, doesn't that just sound wonderful? Having a sentinel at the gate of your heart to protect your peace. This is the the peace that God wants us to walk in in daily experience. Notice it's not a peace that comes from understanding why is this happening and what's going on. No, it's a peace that transcends understanding and it just covers us, it envelops us, and it holds on to us. But notice too how it's conditional. You see, it's not a given. It comes as we turn our worries into worship and our, pra- our, our problems into prayers. We must partner with this peace, the peace of God. You see, while all Christians by right and by inheritance have peace with God, not all Christians are daily experiencing the peace of God. And you say, well, why not? And that's, I'll tell you why, because there are certain enemies that are warring constantly against your peace. And I want to highlight three of them here. There are three enemies that are waging war. Uh, I I want to rob you of your peace. One obvious enemy that wants to rob you of your peace is circumstances, right? I mean, I think this one's pretty obvious. I mean, so much of life is out of our control. Something as small as a traffic jam when you're on your way something, and it just seems like whenever you have to be somewhere and you got to get there soon, you hit every light along the way. And for me, that's about all it takes to rob me of my peace. Anybody else? But then you have those bigger things too, like a lost job or a poor diagnosis or a bad day, like a really bad day when you get that phone call that you weren't expecting. When these things happen, the big things as well as the small are circumstances frustrate us, and they seek to rob us of our peace of mind. So it's not just circumstances. Something else that threatens to rob you of your peace of mind is sin. Circumstances will rob you of your peace, but so will sin and compromise. Let's read this verse together out loud. This is Isaiah 57, verse 21. But the wicked are like a tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet. And its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. You ever been to the ocean when there's a storm coming in and you can see the bank of clouds on the horizon and and maybe the waves, there's a swell and, and, and it's just all chaos and turmoil and white water. And God says, that's a good picture of the heart of someone who is trying to live in sin while also trying to please the Lord. A life of compromise isn't desirable for the child of God. Why? Chiefly because it robs you of your peace. And some of you know what that feels like. You have no peace 
tonight because you're trying to live with one foot in the church and one foot in the world, and you're straddling the fence, and that's never a good idea because every time you do that, you just end up with a bunch of splinters. Amen? Amen. And so the child of God who tries to walk in compromise in sin is robbed of his peace, which is why the psalmist said this, and I'm going to read this one to you. This is Psalm 34, verse 14, if you want to jot that down. He says, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn away from evil and seek peace. Pursue it. So there's a a turning away and there's a pursuing. There's a putting down and there's a picking up. There's a, a laying aside, and then there's a running after. We're to pursue peace, and that word is very emphatic. It, it's a strong word. It means to tenaciously go after something. Picture, if you will, a predator that's chasing down its prey. That is the extent to which and the, the tenacity with which you ought to be pursuing your peace. And might I add this, not only that you pursue it with that kind of tenacity, but you also seek to protect Protect it. And you do that in part by turning away from sin. Because sin will rob you of your peace. There's a third enemy that wars against our peace daily. And I'm talking now about Satan. So now we've talked about circumstances. We've talked about sin. Now let's spend a minute talking about Satan. In John 10, Jesus says that the devil comes to rob, kill, and destroy. What does he rob us of? Well, He robs us of our peace. He wants to kill your joy, and he wants to destroy your life. If you didn't know it, that's the devil's plan for you today. He wants to rob your peace. He wants to kill your joy, and he wants to destroy your life. Now, the tools that he uses to accomplish his mission are fear, doubt, and worry. Why? Well, fear because it diminishes your courage, courage to follow the Lord. It's an absolute must. You you have to have faith to walk in courage. He uses doubt because it causes you to question God's love and grace. And he uses worry because he wants you to spend today's strength fighting tomorrow's problems. If he can grip your heart with fear, if he can fill your mind with doubt, and if he can clutter your thoughts with worry, then he's got you right where he wants you. You're rendered ineffective in the battle. Your heart will be troubled. Your peace will be gone. And you'll be just fodder. It'll be like putty in his hands. Let me ask you something. How much time do you spend worrying about stuff that never happens, isn't going to happen, unlikely to happen? If you're anything like me, it's a lot. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I just, I worry. We, we're worriers by nature. We worry about our money, our careers, our relationships, our health, our friends, our families, so on and so forth. And yet, even still, most of the stuff we worry about never happens. In fact, There's a a study that was done a handful of years ago by Cornell University, and they found out after they conducted this study, they discovered that 85% of what people worry about never comes to happen, never comes to pass. Now, the rest of you are thinking about, well, what about that 15%? (laughs) They went on to ask those people, and they found that of that 15% where their fear was realized... 79% of those people found that they were able to handle their problems better than they thought they would. They even reported learning something valuable from the experience. 
When you do the math, that amounts to 97% of the time, you're either not going to experience the thing you're worrying about, or you're going to be able to handle it better than you thought, and you'll learn something in the process. There's a few of us that are still thinking, yeah, but about that 3%, what about that? You know, knowing that I shouldn't worry about this stuff and that it's a, a fruitless activity doesn't really help me again to, to fight it, to stem it, to, to push it back and to hold it at bay. You don't just need to be told to worry less. What you need is something to replace your worry with. And this is what Jesus gives us here. You see, he is the centerpiece of the antidote for anxiety. I want you to just focus on that word, my. It's his peace. As you center yourself in him, as you fix your gaze on him, as you focus on him, all the other stuff, it just falls by the wayside. As we close this evening, let me talk to you for just a minute about how to walk in perfect peace, how to walk in perfect peace. And we read this in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. Let's read this together out loud. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Oh, I love this. What an incredible promise. God promises that we can have not just peace, but perfect peace. And he goes on to say that we can be kept in that place of perfect peace, that it's not something that is transitory. It's not something that comes and goes based on the changing tide of our circumstances, but it's something that keeps us in the midst of the storm. In fact, when you go back and you look at the original Hebrew text, you'll find that the term there for perfect peace is actually translated from the two Hebrew words, shalom, shalom. And he doubles it up. He says, shalom, because we already looked at that word. It means peace. But when you see it put together like that, the repetition communicates intensity. So it isn't just shalom. It is total harmony with God, with others, with my environment because of what? Because my mind is fixed on him. You see, God just doesn't want you to dip your toes in his peace. He wants you to dive into the deep end of it and experience it from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And he wants to keep you there all the days of your life. How, how many of that does that interest you? Anybody in here tonight? Praise the Lord. So who are the people who enjoy this peace? Those whose minds are fixed on him. You gotta fix your mind on him. You gotta fix your eyes on Jesus. Peter was able to rise above his circumstances and walk on the waves so long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus. But when he got his eyes off of Jesus and he began to look at the wind and the waves, what happened? He began to sink and he cried out in his final moments, Lord, save me. And he reached out his hand and Jesus grabbed his hand. You see, how many of you are good at meditating? All of you should be raising your hand. I'll tell you why. Because if you're good at worrying, you're good at meditating. Worrying is just meditating on all the wrong things. 
Worrying is meditating on all of your fears. It's, it's meditating on all of the lies. It's feeding those things, those parts of you, those lies that Satan is trying to sow into the fabric of your soul. So you already know how to meditate. And, and so the idea is just fixing what you meditate on. And that's why it's so good that you're here. As we gather in places like this, what we're doing is we are realigning our hearts. We are taking our eyes off of the world, off of the wind, off of the waves, and we're placing our eyes onto the Lord. So let me ask you this. What is your mind fixated on today? Are you fixated on that problem? Maybe it's that person. Maybe it's yourself. Are you fixated on your fears? We're really good at playing on our fears and feeding our fears. And whatever you feed grows and whatever you starve dies. So we feed our fears and they get bigger to the point where we can no longer see the Lord. And if you're fixated on those things, then I'm afraid you'll know nothing of this, this peace of God because it's conditional. It is promised to those who fix their eyes on Jesus, and then they'll be kept in perfect peace. I love the quote from Corey ten Boom who said it like this, and I quote, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll get depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Amen. Let me say that again. Praise the Lord. If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. You look within, you do that navel gazing, you go to those retreats, and you just stare at yourself. I'm finding peace. I'm finding peace. No, you're just going to get depressed. But if you look at God, you'll find true rest. And we look at him. Why? Because he's trustworthy. He is Yah. He is Yahweh. He is the becoming one. Whatever your need is today, I promise you that he is your provider. He is your sustainer. He is your healer. He is your savior. He is your great reward. He is your shield. He is your buckle. He is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He is the light in the midst of the darkness. He is the good shepherd who walks with you through the valley. He is your all in all. He is the beginning and the end, the alpha and the mega, the first and the last. And he is for you and he is with you. The Lord, Yah, is everlasting strength. And if God is for you, you have nothing to fear. So as you meditate on that, as you root yourself in that truth, and it is true whether or not you feel it tonight, you ground yourself in reality. You ground yourself in the truth. You ground yourself in his promises. You stand in his peace, and then you find that you're kept, kept, protected, not pulled out, not removed from the storm, but kept in the midst of it. And nothing gets to you, but that hasn't first been filtered through his fingers. And he has carefully measured it so that you will come through it, bringing him greater glory and bringing better good into your own heart and life. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for your peace. You are the God of all peace. Yet our minds are under constant attack. And so our peace is being threatened. And many of us, though we know these things to be true, Lord, we're not experiencing that peace, the peace of God. Yes, we have peace with you, but we desperately need 
the peace that comes from you, the peace of God. I just want to invite all of you in this moment to take that thing that has been robbing you of your peace, whatever it is, and in your, your mind, I, I just want you to picture yourself taking your eyes off of it. And then I want you to lift your gaze. And can we all just do this physically? I often feel that what we do in the physical, what happens in the natural, is a precursor to what happens in the spiritual. Let's just lift our eyes. Lift the eyes of your heart and your gaze. Lift your heads. And I want you to look up. You're no longer focused on. You're no longer looking at. You're no longer concerned with the thing that concerned you a moment ago. Whatever it is, if it's a health thing, if it's a relational thing, if it's a financial thing, if it's an internal thing, whatever that thing is, you leave that down and you look up. Let's lift our eyes to Jesus. There's a verse that says he hasn't given us the spirit of fear. That's from the enemy. But he's given us the spirit of, that's marked by and characterized power, love, and soundness of mind. The battle is in the mind. The battle is for your heart, but it takes place in your mind. Make no mistake about it. The battle is for your thought life. And so over and over again, we are encouraged in God's word to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, for for there in his presence, the things of this world go strangely dim. Lord, help us. Help us to know your peace, to live in your peace, to walk in your peace, to own your peace, to preserve and to protect our peace, to not be robbed by circumstances, by Satan or by sin or compromise. Lord, we we turn away from those things and we fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before you endured the cross, though despising the shame. And now you're seated at the right hand of the Father where you ever lived to make intercession for us. We fix our eyes on you. We're surrounded by you. We're lifting up the name of Jesus. Our eyes are fixed on Jesus. Our heart is covered by Jesus. You are Yah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.